Hello, and welcome to the Collider Podcast. I'm Collider Senior Editor Matt Goldberg, and with me is Managing Editor Adam Chitwood. Howdy, folks. And TV Editor Liz Shannon Miller. Hello. Today, we'll be talking about the first two episodes of WandaVision. The new Disney Plus Marvel series launched this past weekend uh, with its first two episodes. So we're going to dive into that. We've seen the third episode, but we're not going to talk about that one. Uh, so this will be spoiler-free, assuming you've seen the first two episodes. If you if you haven't seen the first two episodes, I can't help you at that point. I, <laughs> I'm not going to completely talk around WandaVision. They're 25 minutes long, you guys. Get off your asses. Yeah, they're super <laughs> short and very light. <laughs> No one's asking you to like watch a heavy show here. And that's the thing about WandaVision. Like it's sort of, you know, it's it's weird sort of the initial reactions. Like this is the strangest thing Marvel has ever done. And I was going to say, it's like, it's certainly different than what they've done. But if you've seen like classic sitcoms before, I don't feel like there's anything about WandaVision that's like too much of a loop other than like, this is like a big, big homage to, to classic sitcoms. It stars Marvel characters and yeah, that's unusual, but like, this is not Twin Peaks The Return. Yeah, the people who've been, there's been a lot of like quasi-mentioning of David Lynch. And I think there is there is that comparison point there just because there is that, you know, there are, a, the, we've had already a couple of moments where, you know, reality starts to shift away and things get, take this darker turn. So I don't see, I, it, like, I understand when people make the David Lynch comparisons, but you are right, like, um, it is it, it is you know ninety percent of the time a very straightforward sitcom in many respects and uh, to the point where like I was one of the things that surprised me the most about the show was just how good the dialogue was like these are some great sitcom one liners yeah that's the thing I, I think the thing is is like this show is probably not for people who don't like classic sitcoms like I mean that and that because it's wearing it it's on its sleeve in the same way that being like you don't like action movies, you're probably not going to really go for Marvel movies. I mean, this is just what it is. It's trying to, the first two episodes, I would say, draw heavily from uh, Dick Van Dyke, the Dick Van Dyke show, Bewitched, and I Dream of Jeannie. And, you know, those shows had sort of very simple, direct, you know, setups like, you know, I forgot, you know, it's the bosses coming over for dinner, or, you know, or we have to do the talent show. These are very simple things. And then you sort of build jokes around them. Um, I guess if you if you really only, if your sitcom knowledge is really just like Seinfeld, Friends and The Office, this is going to be pretty it's going to it could be pretty jarring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I mean. You know, I I think it's ambitious in a uh, in terms of its form, like it's something Marvel has never done before. I don't think it's necessarily weird in terms of like we have no idea what's happening. Oh my god! But like the commitment to the bit was really pleasantly surprising to me because you think of other Marvel movies and they're pretty simply plotted. Like you kind of know who the main players are by the end of the first act. You know who the main players are. You know what the main conflict is, and you know kind of roughly where the movie is going. And there are twists and turns. And you know, I think something that Marvel does really well as these, you know, quote unquote, cold opens that happen in their films before they hit the credits. And that's kind of where they kind of experiment with form. Um, I mean, specifically a Black Panther, which used its uh, pre-credits sequence as like an entire prologue um, that really didn't have much to do with superheroes at all. Um, so, but if you kind of extrapolate that into WandaVision, which is, you know, this television show, I think these first couple episodes are something of a cold open where it is fully committing to this bit of, you know, each episode is a different decade in classic sitcom history. And I think it works because 
Like, it's not only just like a fun thing. It's not a gimmick. But Wanda is someone who lost the love, the love of her life. And now she's living out this romantic fantasy with the person that who was no the person who is no longer there um and whatever that fantasy could have entailed in the future you know should they have been together and i think that gives the whole thing kind of like a tragic underpinning um i don't know honestly i find myself less interested in the little nods to what's actually going on and more just delighted by the commitment to the sitcom bits for the first couple episodes yeah i think i think what makes wandavision really stand out the more i think about it is the fact that Marvel really is trusting its audience uh, with this one. And I think it's something that, you know, the the MCU has gotten a lot of flack for over the years is the fact that, you know, it's a relatively, you know, simple, it's a, it's a relatively simple storytelling approach as a rule. You know, they don't take a lot of chances. They don't throw a lot of, uh, you know, you know, curveballs at you. I think like the cold open that you, you, you mentioned the cold opens and the cold open that this all reminds me of a little bit is the, I think it's the cold open for uh, Winter Soldier, which it opens with just kind of like, "What's up with this guy?" And he's doing a he's doing a murder, and it's a big deal. Like I, I think I have that. I think that's Civil the one that War. opens. It's Civil War that opens with a uh, Bucky. Uh, yeah, Bucky doing on the murders. <laughs> doing, doing doing the murders. Yeah, that's right. You're right. Uh, but like that's a relatively out there, like out of context moment. But. Otherwise, Marvel doesn't really do do a lot of that stuff. Like you're, you know, Black Panther is another good example. And here we have basically an entire episode's worth of that. Um, the thing I honestly found most most frustrating about the show, to the point where I I, I wrote the review and I gave it an A, but I nearly knocked it down to an A minus over this. Was I hate the fact there's a previously on that's completely out of out of sync with every with everything they're doing, like. It's 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 just, it's the worst aspect of the show. It's the fact that they've committed fu so fully to the bit in every other respect except that one. Yeah, I I can sort of give the previously on a bit of a pass simply because of the credits are so stylized as well. Yeah, that's fair. And it, you know, and it's just it's sort of the form of the thing, but or, or it's not even the form. It's just they're the sort of it almost feels like disney plus mandated it's like this is how it's done we did this for the mandalorian you have to do it for your shows but i'm with you i think you know if you if you really wanted to commit to the bit 100 you've got to play it as it is but you know i again i'm not sure how you do that when you have so like these classic sitcoms did not have hundreds of people working on them as right. a marvel show does yeah, I mean, and, and, and to to the, to the credit of the previously ons, uh, they do pop in before even like the Marvel title card. So right. at least you can kind of like it's it's not it's not fully a part of the action. I do think it's um, it's worth noting how like incredible Elizabeth Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany are in the show and oh, Catherine Hahn, who my God, Catherine Hahn should be the biggest star in the world by now. Uh, and it's very frustrating that she's not. But the performances in this show, and especially watching those first two back-to-back, -back, and the three of us watched the first three back-to-back, because -back, all press were given the first three episodes to watch. But seeing how their performance changes to fit the era and the decade in which they are uh, inhabiting is really impressive. Um, but I think Elizabeth Olsen's performance is tremendous because she has to have these moments, these very brief moments of clarity um, where she maybe is start, starting to remember, you know, what actually happened to her um, and then kind of snap back in. But there is, as I said, this undercurrent of tragedy through the whole thing. And I think the the performers play them incredibly well. Yeah. yeah it, oh, go ahead, Liz. 
I was just gonna say, yeah, I, I I totally agree. And on the Paul Bettany tip, I think like, you know, people are, you know, there's been like the first wave of people saying, who knew Paul Bettany could be this funny? And then the second wave of, oh, you idiots didn't watch A Knight's Tale, apparently. I watched A Knight's <laughs> Tale. I'm still impressed at how funny he is. Like a in A Knight's Tale, he's delivering a very broad comic performance and it's great. Here he's doing sitcom dad on a level that I had no idea he was capable of. And that's not an easy thing to pull off. It's not an easy uh, role to like nail so quickly so well. And I'm just mad that we don't have a hundred episodes of a Paul Bettany sitcom to look back on in syndication. Yeah, that's the thing. He's so good at comedy. Like I also think he's really funny in Wimbledon. Mm -hmm. And I feel like part of the reason his comedy gets overlooked is because he hasn't really had a chance to do it. And I was thinking back over his filmography. It's like, well, what has he been doing? And it's like, well, you obviously have like his dramatic stuff like Master and Commander and but you then you also have like Riot Master and Commander. Come on. Yeah. But like then I like also he's the star of like these weird, like weird I don't even know if they're if they're based on comic books. They might be, but like Priest and Legion, like they're these weird action films that aren't very good. And it's like you're better than this, Paul Bettany. Why are you? Why were you in these movies? Being an albino and is it Da Vinci Code or Angels and Demons? Da Vinci Code himself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a fascinating question. Like, I, I, I want to start. I want to look up now, like deep dive, like profiles on Paul Bettany, just to figure out, like, what's in his brain. What is he? What, what is guiding his choices? Because you're right. Like, it's so much wackadoo stuff. Our own uh, Drew Taylor did note uh, when he asked Paul Bettany what he was most looking forward to in the next two Avengers movies, he said uh, increased profit participation. So, <laughs> I think I get, think that's get probably paid, Paul Bettany. Yeah. Well, go given it, given the ass backwards way he ended up in the Marvel in the Marvel universe, like you know, he I don't think he, when he signed up to do voiceover for Iron Man, he was like, oh, you know what, this is going to lead to is me yeah. in a bodysuit in <laughs> four or five years. Yeah, he's gotten a, a, an entirely new lease on uh, his role in the MCU, as like most of these other MCU MCU shows are doing. I think we should also note, I mean, I think there are probably some people who are like, oh, I've seen Marvel shows before. Like, I really liked Daredevil and like I didn't really like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but like WandaVision is made by none of the people who made those shows. <laughs> there were two very separate sects in Marvel. There was Marvel Studios, which made all the movies that you loved, and there was Marvel Television. Uh, which was headed up by Jeff Loeb. Marvel Studios run by Kevin Feige. Marvel Television, you know, Joss Whedon had the grand idea of doing a S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series as he was writing a Age of Ultron. He got that off the ground. And then I think a few months into like their writer's room, they were like, Kevin Feige was like, just a heads up, we're blowing up S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> so they had to blow up their entire premise of their TV show. Um, but Agent Carter, all the Netflix shows, those were all run by Marvel Television. When uh, Disney decided they wanted Marvel shows for Disney Plus, I think they wisely went to Kevin Feige and said, what do you think about doing it? And I think that's, I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember High Tank Girl. Um, <laughs> the cat is crawling on Liz's back now <laughs> for yes. those who are only listening on audio. Yeah. Um, there was this uh, like surprising wave of cancellations of those Netflix Marvel shows. And I think we can now say with hindsight, what was happening was they were clearing the deck for Kevin Feige and his Marvel Studios to reboot Marvel on the small screen, I think is what's yeah. happening. And I mean, I'm a huge fan of the way that the, 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 the that the Jeff Loeb era of Marvel tried to like it tried to work within the Marvel Cinematic Universe while also still like 
dealing with the fact that they had to create multiple episodes of television uh, that were not reliant on you having seen the blockbusters. Uh, I, it's actually funny. I have a friend who is a huge, you know, huge Joss Whedon Buffy fan, and she was actively annoyed that she she liked Joss Whedon making TV. She didn't want to go see any Marvel movies though. She just wanted to watch Agents of Shield, and so. <laughs> I don't know how many people like her exist in the world, but I guess <laughs> at least one does. But yeah, like, I don't know. It's, it, you're right. Like it's this, this does feel like a clean slate in a lot of respects, but I think also the fact that, you know, we have two seasons of Haley Atwell playing agent Carter is a real gift. And that show's great, by the way, it uh, really had some fun playing with like the period elements. Um, by the much- writers of infinity war and Endgame and civil war and the winter soldier too. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. same guys ran Agent Carter. Yeah. But yeah, so, I had heard the problem, like the disconnect was that like they were trying to make broadcast television and, you know, you start in the summer, you plan out your stories and you start shooting in August and September, whereas the Marvel Cinematic Universe is planned out four years in advance. So they couldn't really, they weren't really talking to one another TV yeah. and like the movie side. Well, and also like, you know, there there is no denying that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. at the very least became immeasurably better once it stopped trying to integrate at all into what was going on in the MCU. Like, they never dealt with the snap. Uh, the They instead went to space in the future and all sorts of random stuff. It was fun. They had, they had, some, they had some wild times. I know Matt was a huge Iron Fist fan. Yes. <laughs> yes, I can't Christ. get enough of dorky white dude being the Iron Fist mask. God, that show was bad. I, <laughs> I, and that's the thing. Up until that point, I had made it through the first seasons of all the other Netflix Marvel shows, but I got I got like four or five episodes into Iron Fist, and I'm like, I'm out. I can't do I, it. I got to I got to warn you, Matt. Uh, Finn Jones is in Dickinson season two. Um, once again, being that white guy who you who we're supposed to think is super charming and is instead actually kind of annoying. Uh, so brace yourself if you choose to dig into that one. I see. Thank you for the warning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny. Also, sort of like I think you need that clean slate simply because. Well, I know there are people that are like, when's Daredevil going to show up in the MCU, and when's you know Jessica Jones going to show up? Like, I I think it's it's one thing to like, I want to hold on to those characters. And I think it'll be interesting to sort of see like how much that mythology is, is it how much they attempt to bring into that? Because again, something that has to be considered is like, if this is all one big story, then it raises questions of like, well, if, you know, so-and-so was trying to summon a ninja cult in New York, why didn't any Avenger come? I mean, this is a problem we had back at Iron Man three, like, well, the Avengers are here now. Why aren't, why, why shield is here now? Why isn't anyone doing anything? Why is Tony Stark off on his own? And so the, you know, there has to be an answer to these questions and that's why they plan things out so far in advance. And that's not even getting to stuff that's like been utterly discarded. Like the fact, like if you were to, if you didn't clear the deck, like, would you have to acknowledge that inhumans exist? <laughs> you know? Oh, I good Lord. that TV show happened. <laughs> yes. I, that was I another saw it. Globe special. I saw it in the theater. I, I <laughs> went the to the, I went to the, I, I went to the IMAX and I got to see the very big dog even bigger than before. That was a rare case of like, it was supposed to be a movie and Kevin Feige was like, you guys take this one. <laughs> we don't want You didn't want it. You didn't want it at all. Yeah. I, I will say it's it, 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 watching the first two episodes as a uh, special IMAX event. It was a, re- there was a really special uh, 
just a really special scene where the where one guy is just like talking to some people on earth he's like yeah i'm from the moon and i laughed hysterically <laughs> as one of the three people in that theater and by the way your laughter echoes a lot when you're one of three people <laughs> in an IMAX theater <laughs> I, I the part I've I didn't see the whole series, but I saw a, a, a clip on Twitter of like the little like black bolt as a kid, and like he accidentally obliterates his parents <laughs> by speaking. <laughs> that was and I, I couldn't stop laughing. Oh man, uh, nothing nothing was funnier than uh, the, they they did a panel for Inhumans at TCA's. We're getting going way down the Inhumans track and talking about a bad show versus the good one, which I apologize for, but. Nothing was funnier than that panel because you had Anson Mount like just sitting there so, so determined to sell this show and like very committed to like, he was like so excited to talk about how he'd spent all this time creating the secret you know, sign language that uh, Black Bolt used. And then you have uh, Ewan Rion sitting next to him. I never say his name correctly, I apologize, but the guy, a wonderful actor who's been in so good in so many things and is not good in, in humans, but no one is good in the humans. And he's just sitting there smiling, like, I know this is getting canceled in 10 episodes, and I'm, <laughs> soon, soon, I will, soon I will be free, and I, can, I, I will be on my way. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was not a good experiment, whereas WandaVision is a, so far a very good experiment. Well, and, that, and that's the thing about WandaVision is that it can live, it, it's because Kevin Feige has total say over it, like, even though we haven't seen anything past the third episode, it's very clear that whatever is going to happen in WandaVision will lead directly into Doctor Strange 2. Because we know Elizabeth Olsen is in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And when you say Multiverse of Madness, that probably clues you in into something that could be happening in a world where Wanda and Vision are now in a sitcom, like its own little universe. So what does that tell you? So, like, it's sort of that interconnectedness gives you a hint of like where things are going, even if you don't know exactly how they're getting there. Well, and it's something that uh, ended up actually working out pretty well with the Netflix shows as well, which is that because these are, because we're getting, there's no other Marvel content coming out right now. We're just getting WandaVision. There's no other narratives we have to balance and keep in line. Like we can just kind of, we're going to blast through WandaVision and then there's, we're going to have a movie. We're, we're going to have more movies and et cetera. Uh, but, you know, we don't have to worry about them overlapping to the same degree that we used to. Well, and in fact, I feel like this year, because things got so backed up, we could easily be in for a year where every weekend has some sort of Marvel thing. Because it feels like right now, scheduling-wise, we know that uh, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier is supposed to come out in March. Well, there right. are nine episodes of... WandaVision and the first two have aired. So by the time you're done with WandaVision, you're going to be in mid-March, at which point you would probably launch Falcon and the Winter Soldier. By the time that's done, you're in May. And assuming they don't have to push Black Widow back, then you hit Black Widow. Then you like, you know, you could very, very easily launch What If. It could happen over the summer. And then Loki, Loki. I think, is around that time too. Yeah. yeah and then over I the think summer. This fall. It, I thought Loki was fall. Okay. Well, maybe it's this fall. Okay, but like you have what if, and then over the summer you're also supposed to get uh, Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, and then like you basically have very little time before like it's there's going to be a lot of Marvel stuff this year, assuming the movies can come out. But even if they can't, then the, you you still might get your TV series. That's sort of the big question mark because the TV series and the movies are kind of interconnected. Can you? 
can you release a show like Falcon and the Winter Soldier without giving away something that you were supposed to know was supposed to happen in Black Widow? Well, I feel like, like Fal- Falcon Winter Soldier is, I feel like that one's pretty standalone. Yeah, it looks pretty in, standalone. in comparison to WandaVision, where right. WandaVision is being set up as a direct, as a direct prequel, essentially, to Doctor Strange 2. Yeah, and I like, I mean, for the first time ever, these TV shows were being written and plotted and planned out in the same building, if not same room, as, you know, the filmmakers that were planning out Doctor Strange 2 and Thor 4 and how they're eventually going to do Fantastic Four. They all were talking to one another and knew what was going on, and that's how they kind of set up this plotting. But what I really like about it is, you know, the Marvel movies are all epic. Like, not not many of them are super intimate. Um, not many of them spend a ton of time at the same location. So what I like about, uh, because talking about like if we have a full year of Marvel stuff, does that feel like it's going to get bloated or like too much, too many things happening at once? I like how WandaVision feels like its own contained little thing. You're getting a in- more intimate story, an intimate deep dive into two characters. Um, whereas even, you know, Thor 4, we've got Chris Hemsworth, uh, Tessa Thompson, Natalie Portman, all the Guardians, maybe Matt Damon now, like that's a lot of characters to service. So you're somewhat limited in, you know, you have to make those small intimate moments count. Um, but these shows that they've announced so far, Loki deep dive into his character. Um, it, it just sounds like it's an opportunity to kind of go a bit smaller um, and go a bit deeper emotionally with these characters. And then the movies are where you're globe trotting and, uh, you know, going forward and backwards in time and all this stuff. I have a question for you guys, which is, uh, you know, the rumor is that by the end of the season, we'll have a, uh, shall we say, Luke Skywalker-esque uh, appearance by another, uh, by an, an MCU member. Like, so some big surprise is coming. Where, who do you think it's going to be? I mean, I would assume Doctor Strange. That would seem to be. Benedict Cumberbatch seems like someone you can get. Um, and that just seems like that would be the most reason, that'd be the most, That'd be the one that would create the link. Also, even though Multiverse of Madness now isn't coming, I think, until 2022 or something, there's Doctor Strange is going to show up in the next Spider-Man film, which is due out at the end of the year. So I don't know. It seems like he would be the most likely candidate. Right. I think it might be Pietro. Um Aaron, bringing back Aaron Taylor Johnson as a character everyone forgot about after. I never Avengers forgot him. With his, well, I mean, his, did you see that coming? <laughs> it's such a fascinating, uh, like, I, I want, like, the oral history of how, like, some of those deals got made. Like, the whole, like, the whole, like, initial carving up of uh, the Marvel Universe back when Fox acquired all those rights where it's like, okay, uh, you know, you guys, uh, you know, Sony can have J. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson, but uh, Daredevil, the movie Daredevil gets Ben Ulrich. Uh, like they had, they had to break up like the Daily Planet staff in order for all these rights issues, and like the whole, and then the whole, com- but then like the whole conversation with Fox about 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 Quicksilver, where it was like, okay, you guys, can, we can have two different movie Quicksilvers, but one of them has to die in his first movie. <laughs> um, I do know Marvel Studios was not allowed to say they were mutants and they couldn't refer yeah. to his father being Magneto. I know those were the two stipulations there. Yeah. Uh, but now they can because they got them. They can do whatever they want now. Synergy. Now now they can say mutants as much as they want. And I, our own, uh, our own Vinnie Mancuso joked on Twitter that in an inversion of the House of M comic where Scarlet Witch said no more mutants, now it'll be way more mutants. <laughs> I mean... 
if you're looking for a way to establish in canon that mutants now exist in the MCU, yes. there are worse ways to do it. Yeah. No, I think that would actually, because that's sort of been sort of the big question. It was like, well, if people, if mutants exist in this world, why weren't they helping out in all these crises? You know, where are the X-Men if they don't exist? And I think if you just blink them into existence, you've kind of solved your, your problem there. The big problem I foresee, though, is if you bring Michael Fassbender in um, as Magneto, is it's just literally too sexy. Like, you cannot <laughs> handle perfection. The, if you get Fassbender and you get Olsen and Bettany, you know, they're, they're looking fantastic in these first few episodes we've seen. You put all those people on the screen, I don't I don't think people can handle it. Can we can we actually talk talking about good looking people? Can I just say, and I, I mentioned this on Twitter, I'm glad that like Vision and Wanda have sex, which yeah. is just because it's so like it's not that I'm like, oh man, I need superheroes to bone, but like I need like if you're gonna have these these sculpted people, like these incredibly attractive people, but they exist in this completely sexless environment, it's kind of weird. And I get like why superheroes have been largely sexless lately. It's because you know, you're trying to market things to kids um, on some level. Like, the P there is no PG anymore. So, like, your PG-13 films are, are attracting eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds. But at some level, like, I think you can draw a line. Like, you don't have to be explicitly sexual but while still acknowledging, like, yes, if these two characters are in love and they're married, they might have sex. Like, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a, a controversial leap. Well, I mean, they, they, there is, I, you, you are correct that most, I mean, like poor Steve Rogers, just once I hope he, you know, got laid <laughs> um, at some point. But yeah, I mean, they, they did to some credit, to their credit, uh, like establish the Tony and Pepper relationship early in. And actually kind of, I think it's one of the more interesting relationships to track over the course of the series. Like it's, uh, you know, they did a nice job kind of, you know, making them feel like a real couple with their own problems. Even yeah, a lot I, of those. I, I rewatched the first two Iron Man movies recently, and those movies are very sexy, <laughs> like yes. very oh, much. Yeah. Like that was before there was like a house tone, and before they were owned by Disney. Uh, there were so many references to Tony. Tony just like being a horn dog and yeah. just flirting. He beds he uh, sex Leslie in the first, Bibb. Like, Twenty minutes of, yeah. of Iron Man. The reporter, yeah. he's like, get in the car, and she's like, okay. <laughs> they wait. She wakes up in his bed. So. And then and then Gwyneth Paltrow slut shames her. Yes, yes, she does. That's true. That's a thing that happens. But yeah, then Disney bought it and it was like, no more. No more sex. And, and that's the thing, like, you know, kids today may not know this, but superhero movies used to, like, Batman Returns is aggressively horny. Like, <laughs> oh my God. You kids, if, watch Batman Returns and like, oh my God. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> Penguin wants to have sex with Catwoman. Just flat out. God, uh, now, 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 I th now that I think about it, like, the Nolan Batman movies are incredibly sexless. Well, like, everything Nolan does is incredibly <laughs> sexless. Yeah, that is true. He made a Bond movie that was incredibly sexless. <laughs> That's true. Oh, uh, like all like all great discussions uh, on uh, on on Collider. This is eventually just deteriorating, deteriorating, uh, into a uh, shit you know shit talking tenant. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you're a regular listener on the show, you're like, man, they're, they're dunking on Nolan again. What did he do to them? It's like nothing. We just like dunking on way. Nolan. Yeah. As a per like we like his movies, but as a person, we find it's fun to dunk on him. I was <laughs> podcast uh, drinking game. I mean, okay. In fairness, uh, you know, Clark Kent does climb into the bathtub with Lois Lane, so maybe Zach Zack Snyder's a little more horned. Uh, mm -hmm. 
I would say yeah, I don't think Zack Snyder has that hang up. I mean, after especially after like making something like Watchmen, like he does not. I mean, and the you know the owl ship ejaculates sparks. <laughs> this is true. Uh, this is a true fact. It's a true fact. I'm just stating things that happen in Watchmen. <laughs> just talking about Watchmen again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, which uh, of the of the rumored sitcom genres we're looking at coming forward, uh, going forward in WandaVision, which which ones are you most excited for? Well, first well, of all, you didn't tell us who you think is going to show up. Who's the oh, cameo? Um, I mean, actually, I don't know. Like for some reason, I liked Steve Rogers for some reason. <laughs> I think I was initially because if we're getting you know spoiler, but uh, when we talked about the voice on the radio, I initially thought it. That sat. I I didn't. I'm not good at picking up voices without faces attached. And I thought for a moment it was Steve. So, um, I you know that that's where my brain is stuck. Uh, but I do think that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is a very safe bet, or at least somebody looking like or somebody wearing a Doctor Strange mask. Uh, just to answer your so to answer your question about what I'm looking forward to sitcom wise, I'm I'm looking forward to the what I hope is The Office, but it looks like it'll be more like Modern Family. And if, it, if it's The Office, I'm very excited if that's what they're doing. <laughs> if they're doing Modern Family, yeah, all right, so be it. I mean, Modern Family, to be fair, kind of makes more sense because mm -hmm. these sitcoms that we're seeing are family sitcoms. They're household sitcoms. Because like, it's like, you know, I mean, they're, when we say sitcom, the sitcom genre, in you know, there's the workplace sitcom. There's the... Um, I'm drawing a blanket other kinds, but you know, they're family. But, yeah. Family. But like, it seems like WandaVision is very much about family as opposed to like, let's do an episode where we make, where we pay homage to cheers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I, each homage makes it like, uh, you know, bewitched and Dick Van Dyke show makes sense because they're about couples. But as you start to get further into it, I think making it more about families. I mean, personally, I saw an image from the 90s episode and it looks like it's Roseanne, which I think makes perfect sense. If you're dealing with a family that is going through struggles, and I think the 90s were a great heyday for sitcoms as well, which is another reason why I'm looking forward to it. Um, and we should say the episodes aren't strictly like, it is only Bewitched, um, but it is pulling from like a few specific ones and even the sets. If you Google the set of the Dick Van Dyke show and look at the episode one set, it's pretty close, the mirror yeah. of what's happening there. Yeah, there's so, like it's not it's not just sort of a general sitcom thing. There 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 are specific ones they're drawing from. It's not like, oh yeah, this is also F Troop and the Dobie Gillis show. Like it's like no, no, this is this is Dick Van Dyke and Bewitched. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm, I'm personally I'm I'm actually very interested to see what happens once we get past the 90s. Like you're right. You know, you're right. You're right that it's probably going to be more, like the mockumentary episode is probably going to be more more in line with Modern Family than it is with uh, The Office. But you know, they both stylistically they both owe so much to each other that I don't think it'll be too different. Um, you now have me really wanting a Cheers episode though, and that's going to be very <laughs> frustrating uh, when it doesn't happen. Wouldn't that well, be maybe amazing? Vision goes Cheers out with like for a drink. I mean, yeah, Cheers, but like with a bunch of MCU characters would be would be pretty delightful. That would be fun. Vision! <laughs> <laughs> what do we think? So we've seen, everyone's seen the trailers, um, and there seems to be like a Halloween episode, but it's in widescreen. It looks very cinematic. Do we think that's Stranger Things? Like, did that look Ooh. like, it looks like 2010s to me, but mm. it, like, that's the only thing that came to mind for me in terms of the 2010s. 
Well, I mean, basically, you just kind of you you kind of embrace the you know single camera concept once you kind of hit that point. Honestly, I, I would you know that also could still be uh could could also be Modern Family. Um, I do I do think I believe they shoot in widescreen. Um, it was just like the the color of it was a lot darker, and there were right. like it felt like the tone of it aesthetically it seemed to be evoking Stranger Things, even though I'm not sure how like. Uh, TV show made in the 2010s, set in the 80s, works for all of that. But maybe, I mean, it's one of the most popular shows. I mean, you could also talk about Scrubs or, uh, you know, oh, oh, oh is there supposed to be a Malcolm in the Middle episode, isn't there? Or yes. that's the rumor? That'll probably uh, be 2000s, I would imagine. Yeah, because that show, that so show then maybe, Yeah. So, uh, so that's the other question. So there's one more episode than there are decades left. So do we think we catch up to the 2020s and then it's like a two-parter or like then the action just continues, you know, outside of whatever's happening in this? Or do we, or do they stick with, the, do they abandon the format in episode seven? Like yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, already like technically the crossover, like, you know, we keep talking about the Dick Van Dyke show in terms of the, in terms of episode one of this show, but Dick Van Dyke show didn't premiere until 1961. Uh, and they've said pretty explicitly, like, so they're, you know, clearly, clearly the jump from episode one to episode two is there's, it's, we're dealing with a slightly more sophisticated, slightly more sexual, uh, mid, mid 60, mid sixties, uh, versions of these shows. Um, but so I feel like the, the, you know, we're not even necessarily bound by decades is my point. Like it could just be, uh, it could just be like a different reference point. You know, we had, you know, in the, in the two thousands, we had shows like Malcolm in the middle running the same, running at the same time as like two and a half men. Yeah. Uh, like that was, and that the was office. A, yeah. So yeah, no, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out, but I think that honestly it gives it something a little fresh every week. And, uh, and honestly, like, yeah, there's a mystery element. And I think that's fine, but I'm not really, I don't know, maybe I'm just a little burnt out on mystery shows. Like, if those exist, if you want them, you can pull up those threads. But, like, to just say, like, here's a low-stakes MCU show where they just do sitcom riffs, I'm kind of okay with that. Especially, as, I mean, when you sort of see, like, yeah, we had Spider-Man Far From Home after Endgame, but we're still sort of, like, in sort of those earth-shattering, you know, big movie things. I think to, to make it small is a smart move. And it, it doesn't get smaller or more low stakes than your average sitcom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're just here for Catherine Hahn uh, checking out the mailman's ass. Yes. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, that's sort of the thing about this show is it's baffling to be like, why, why isn't, why is Catherine Hahn never starred in a sitcom, in a regular sitcom that is like one of the most successful shows of all time? Like, she has Parks and Recreation. She was not a star of Parks and Recreation. She was a recurring. She was a recurring guest, yeah. but not, you know, I'm talking about a lead. lead I'm talking about yeah. someone who holds the show. I mean, yeah. yeah, she had Miss Fletcher on HBO, but like that's a drama series. Yeah, yeah, she was really good on Transparent. Uh, mm. Emmy nominated, I believe. Okay. Uh, but but again, again, not playing a, not playing the, not the star of the show. Uh, yeah, they, Hollywood really should figure out what to do with her properly because she is a force and a talent beyond all compare. I mean, stepbrothers in private life, that's range. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> you said stepbrothers down. and you got me thinking about the urinal scene. Yeah, that's, that's what I think. So think about the urinal scene and then think about like the just devastating emotion of private life. Yes. Same actor. Amazing. That's range. We do not deserve Catherine Hahn. We don't, we don't.
Uh, all right. Well, I don't want to sort of, uh, unless you guys have anything more to say about WandaVision, uh, I don't want to tip our hand in terms of I, episode three. I mean, if only we'd written over a dozen articles that published over the last few days. <laughs> There's really nothing left to say, unfortunately. <laughs> but if you want to head over to Collider.com and read a bunch of articles about S.W.O.R.D. and what happened to Wanda's accent and all this good stuff. I, I want to shout out uh, Greg Smith, uh, uh, Gregory Lawrence's own uh, genre influences article uh, came out really nicely. It's a really smart look at uh, the cultural influences of those sitcoms uh, when they were originally airing and how that plays into what WandaVision is talking about. It's a great piece. I highly recommend it. Most definitely. All right, well, with that, let's, uh, let's move into Recently Watched. Uh, Liz, what have you seen lately? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, you know, a lot of stuff, <laughs> but I'm gonna, if, 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 if I will take this opportunity to, I, to plug a show that I, re I revisited over the weekend. Uh, I watched when it originally aired in 2018, but the wonderful dark as hell dramedy show Flack is, uh, has been picked up by Amazon and will be streaming there soon. Uh, following the collapse of the uh, collapse of pop as a, uh, a home for original programming. And I cannot recommend, I, I really like Flack. Uh, it is such a smart, dark show. Uh, it's about um, Anna Paquin plays a PR rep working in London who is ruthless beyond compare when it comes to like uh, helping out her clients. It's very, for any of us who have to deal with PR people on a semi-regular basis, it is deeply gratifying to watch. They're all, there's some incredible characters. Um, oh, I'm blanking on the actress's name, but the character of Eve is someone I want to like start a, start a religion around. She's an amazing character and just a delight to watch. It's uh, a really, it's, it's, it's a really fun show. The, the first season is going to premiere on the 22nd on Amazon, so you can watch it there. And they have a second season that was completely shot um, that they just never, that pop never got around to airing. And that'll be premiering later in the year on Amazon as well. Uh, and I mean, seriously, there's a, in season one, there's a bottle episode, which is just Anna Paquin and Bradley Whitford together on an airplane. And it is captivating and some just a great two-hander of an episode. It's really cool. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's what I was recently watching that I will talk about. All right, uh, Adam, what have you seen lately? Uh, I can't remember if I mentioned this before on the podcast, but I just finished it this past weekend, and so I'm going to talk about it because I'm obsessed with it. And it's Halton Catch Fire, which is yeah. you, know, you had started watching it. Now now you finished it. So this is what I've spent like the last month and a half doing, uh, which is, it was a show on AMC. It aired from 2017 or 2014 to 2017. And I remember watching the first like two episodes and thinking it was like, eh, it felt like it was manufactured in a lab to be like Mad Men plus Breaking Bad a little bit. Um, and so I checked out, but then I'd heard nothing but great things over the last few years. Um, and I heard just start with season two. So I started with season two. Um, and became obsessed with it. And I finally finished it this weekend. And now I'm, I've gone back and I'm watching season one all the way for the first time, which is kind of nice because I was very sad at the end of the fourth season that it was over and it was in the future. And now it feels like you get like a bonus prequel season, which is really an interesting way to watch this show. Um, and I've enjoyed it. So I would suggest doing it. Um, but for those who don't know, like it's, so it it's set in or it begins in the Silicon Prairie of Dallas, Texas, and it starts in like 1983, I think. And Lee Pace is like 
this is as the show was constructed, we paste the Steve Jobs-esque, like, big idea guy who worked for IBM and left and goes to this small upstart and basically, like, shakes their boots and tries to do something visionary. Scoot McNary is, like, a hardware, like, boots-on-the-ground Steve Wozniak type of guy um, who had tried to, like, build a computer with his wife, played by Carrie Beach, um, and it didn't really work out. And then Mackenzie Davis is this, like, punk rocker coder girl who kind of represents the future of whatever that premise kind of gets exploded in season one and season two really like as i can't remember if liz said this to me but someone said to me it's like they realized oh the female characters are the most interesting let's just make the show them which is kind of what it it eventually does and it's all the better better for it um but it covers the 80s all the way up through the, like the mid 90s i think is where it ends in season four um and i found it to be a really profoundly moving and like affecting story of change and like how people approach change and changing landscape and um kind of about how like you think your life is gonna go one way and it has a you hit a bunch of crossroads and you make a decision of to go left or right and how that kind of impacts your life and how you kind of roll with the punches and how that kind of reflects on you as a person of how you uh you know kind of attack those challenges and those things that change uh, I think Mackenzie Davis and Carrie Beach are incredible in the show, as is Lee Pace. I'm kind of upset that the Hollywood hasn't really found out what to do with Lee Pace other than cover him in paint and put him in a Marvel movie, I guess. He's <laughs> one of the most forgettable villains. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of fell head over heels for it. It's on Netflix now, and it's a great binge watch if you're um, just kind of looking for something to watch. But uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I can tell you exactly when it ends, because... Uh... In, in the one of the in the series finale, uh, a character goes to see uh, Star Trek Generations in the theater. That's right. Uh, so it's 1994. Okay. Yeah, and the I think in the pilot they go to see Return of the Jedi in the theater. So that kind of sets that up. But. Yeah, they, they're it's a it's a very good it's a very good show if you want to study time jumps. Like they yes. they handle those really well. Time jumps are incredible, and Mackenzie Davis is like clearly a star already in this, and I I think. You know, she's been in a Terminator movie, so it's not fair to say she hasn't been a star yet, but she'll be leading the HBO Max series Station Eleven, which that book is very good and about a world ravaged by a pandemic. So I'm sure it'll be fun. <laughs> it's give the people what they want. <laughs> I, I will say not. the book is less about the virus and more about like it doesn't like the world doesn't turn into like a wasteland, but there are you're kind of like she she's traveling with like a troop of actors who are like go town to town and perform to like bring people joy. So they're like telling stories and putting on plays and stuff and like protecting art. So is it like that scene in a uh, rain of fire? I can't remember the scene. You can't. Oh my God. It's the only, it's the only scene in rain of fire worth talking about that doesn't involve dragons. Uh, no, there's <laughs> early in the film, uh, uh, Christian Bale and I think Gerard Butler, uh, who are both in the film they actually they reenact for uh a, a group of kids the uh luke i am your father scene from empire I don't and, remember. oh my god it's so good and it's just and and, and then at the end the kids are like oh my god did you write that and he's like yeah i did i'm christian Bale. <laughs> i wrote i wrote the movie return of the jedi or right, i'm sure that it's funny. a great scene um but yeah uh yeah i'm glad you liked it I loved it. I was obsessed. And now it's like all I want to talk about. But now I'm like, oh, yeah, everyone wanted to talk about this in like 2017. I'll, I'll, Adam, I haven't seen Halt and Fit Catch Fire. <laughs> okay. I, will, I will watch it once I caught up with catch up with The Leftovers, which I thank you. Slowly, Have you started The Leftovers? I've started The Leftovers. Oh, my gosh. How I, started, I started The Leftovers. I'm only two episodes in. 
because I watched the first episode and I was like, why did I stop watching this? And it's like killed a bunch of dogs. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> it's just like such misery for a lot of that first season. There's some I, levity you know, in I, it. I'm so. going to plow my way through it. I just, cause I know like it picks up and uh, Emily Vanderwoof wrote a great article over on Vox about why people should, should give it a shot. Um, so I'm going to, I am going to stick with it this time, but um and by yeah. Lindelof's own admission, he said, like, he was kind of, like, in the writer's room, he was like, no, this has to be serious. And he was like, when we got to the second season, I was like, I shouldn't have done that, should I have? And his writers were like, no. He's like, okay, well, let's lighten it up a little bit. Yeah. Oh, my God, yes. The, 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 shift, the shift in season two is really fascinating. I mean, it's still dark as hell. Like, I remember, I remember like, I, I was, when I, I was working on coverage on it uh, when it was originally airing, and I binged my way through the first season, to catch up uh, to, you know, as to refresh my memory uh, before going into season two and just having this moment of like, why don't I feel so good? Why, why do I feel bad? Why do I feel sad? Why do I just want to crawl under, under a blanket and, you know, cry? And yeah. it's like, oh, that's right. I watched 10 hours of the leftovers in three days. <laughs> yeah, I'm, taking it, I'm definitely taking it one, one episode at a day, like no more than one episode a day. I remember getting the screener for the series finale and like having to watch it immediately, like alone in my apartment. And I was just like crying and just like really oh, yeah. upset. <laughs> I was just like watching it on my little laptop. So I'll be curious so, to hear what you have to say about it though. Cause it's a very like, it's as with Linda love stuff, it's not like, here's the story plain and simple. It's like, you can take away a lot of different things from it. So. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll, that's that's currently what I'm making my way through. I guess for my recently watched, though, I'll, I'll briefly talk about it. Uh, I watched Barbarella, finally. Oh, um, wow. On the 1968 sci-fi sex comedy, um, which is kind of this cult film, and it's currently on Criterion Channel. And I was like, you know, this seems light, and it is. Um, the the whole the whole movie, the movie is, um, takes place in the 41st century, and Barbarella is this sort of you know, spacefarer who gets assigned a task of tracking down a scientist named Durand to Durand. Um, and yes, that's where the band got their name from. Um, and she goes to this planet and sort of, um, has these sort of sexual escapades, although it's not constantly sexual, but like, it, it's pretty periodic. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's a weird film because it's very much a, like in 1968, it has a very much like a make love, not war message. Um, but also it's weird to see it now because I feel like so much of our cinema is very chaste. Um, and I think part of that is just, you know, corporations just being very wary of anything that could be deemed controversial and sex is a very easy thing to sort of take out of that. And so I think sex is largely moved to television um, I see that more in prestige dramas than I do in feature films. Um, and so the notion of any studio making like, we're going to make a sci-fi sex comedy, like that just wouldn't happen unless like Seth Rogen wanted to make it. And like, I, I just feel like it's, it's interesting to sort of travel back and sort of see that kind of film. And, and Jane Fonda is delightful in it. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting curiosity, Barbarella. There's a, a, a show that, uh, one of those tragically canceled uh, shows that is worth checking out if you ever stumble across like DVDs or somebody revives it, you know, puts it on streaming somewhere. But uh, the the 1999 show Action, yes. uh, <clears throat> featuring Jay Moore as basically a Joel Silver esque uh, executive producer, uh, 
And there's an episode where uh, he's talking about how he needs to find the perfect pair of tits for his. Look, I'm being very profane on your podcast. I'm That's sorry. That's okay. We're so are we. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I'm not coming in and classing up the joint. I apologize. That, but he's. It's he not wants a classy podcast. It's not a classy podcast by any stretch. <laughs> this isn't the Christopher Nolan prissy hour. <laughs> Chris, did it again. I would, I would kind of enjoy listening to the Christopher it's Nolan Chrissy hour. Sipping tea and 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 calling out streaming services. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, anyways, uh, in 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 the in the episode, he's like obsessed with finding the perfect pair of breasts for his uh upcoming movie, and uh, his his point of reference is Barbarella. He's like, when I saw when I saw Jane Fonda's perfect breasts, that that was when I knew I wanted to make film, and I need those breasts. I need the perfect breasts uh, like that. So that's that is what I know about Barbarella. Uh, but it sounds it sounds like a lot of fun. It's like again, it's like it's a hundred minutes. It's on Criterion Channel. Worth worth checking out, I'd say. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thank you all so much for listening. If you want to keep up with this podcast, you should follow us on Twitter. Liz, where can people find you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter at Lizlet. That's L-I-Z-L-E-T. And Adam, where can people find you? At Adam Chitwood. And you can find me at Matt Goldberg. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back with you next week.